This is episode number 378 with James Aspie. The Show. Welcome to The Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Motivated to raise greater awareness for the planet's voiceless victims, in 2014, this passionate young Australian animal rights activist took a 365-day vow of silence. After an entire year without uttering a single word, he ended it on Australian national television with an interview that inspired millions to make more conscious and compassionate lifestyle choices and cemented him as a charismatic new force in the fight for the ethical treatment of animals. He is ranked number three amongst the top 25 most influential vegans by Plant-Based News. James has gone on to cycle 5,000 kilometers across Australia to prove that vegans can be fit and healthy. He got tattooed for 25 hours straight to raise $20,000 for charity. He's been featured in a multitude of prominent mainstream media outlets, given free speeches at countless schools, universities, and conferences, and attended local activism events and street outreach events across the world. He transparently shares his life and campaigns online to a massive tribe of global followers. On YouTube, his speeches have reached tens of millions of people and his most popular speech has been viewed over 12 million times. He's enthusiastic, accessible, and highly skilled behind a podium. James is inspiring a new generation to change how we eat, live, and respect other species. And in this conversation, we chat about his incredible story and how he became an animal rights activist the weird double standard our society has around animals and why so many people think it's okay to eat a cow but not a dog, why the term humanely slaughtered is just a marketing gimmick and other ploys to be aware of, the best documentaries to gain consciousness, knowledge, wisdom and motivation around respecting animals and eating plant-based, why he took a 365-day vow of silence and the incredible lessons he learned about animals and the cruelty of the meat industry while he was voiceless, why your dollar counts and is more powerful than you know, and his top tips for becoming a conscious consumer, his super effective strategy for overcoming comfort eating and how he recovered from an eating disorder and cancer, the unusual thing he is working to improve within himself, plus so much more. And for everything that James and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 378. And now without further ado, let's get this party started with the incredible James Aspie. James, it is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in... Can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, I had a delicious bowl of oats with banana and nectarines. We usually have cacao in there to make it chocolatey, but we ran out. And on top, I had a delicious granola with some dried fruit. Mmm, yum. That sounds delicious. It was so yum. It was so delicious, so healthy, so easy to make, so quick. And I'm going to be full until lunch. Oh my gosh. I am coming over for breakfast. That's for sure. Come over. There's none left, but we'll make more. (laughs) (laughs) What did you have for breakfast? Oh, okay. What did I have? Well, my husband is obsessed with doing overnight oats. So we soak oats in a homemade nut milk and then we put cinnamon, ginger, some flax, some chia, some banana, some berries and... I think that's about it. And then we soak that overnight and then in the morning, it's just so delicious. So I had that. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. I nice love one. It. Cool. Now, you are an incredible animal rights activist and you actually took 365 days where you were in complete silence for the animals. That's how I first discovered you because you were all over the news here in Australia. I want to know... Were your parents animal rights activists? Like, was this something you were born into? Like, how did this all begin for you? They definitely were not animal rights activists, although they have become animal rights activists since I have. They go to all kinds of different things now and they've been vegan for a long time. But no, interestingly, I remember certain things that my parents told me about animals that led me to believe that they were very unimportant. They were more like highly intelligent, Obviously not plants, but they weren't much better than plants, you know? And then humans were way at the top of the scale. So I didn't see much value at all in the lives of animals. I didn't believe that they could care about or value their own life. I didn't believe they had the emotional capacity to do so. And therefore, I didn't see a logical reason to care about them either. Because if they didn't, why would I? So my parents, you know, they told me some of these ideas, just like everybody. In our culture, uh, most people, they were very uninformed about the rich emotional lives animals lead, the value of them to themselves, and the value that we should put on them in regards to just basically believing that they are more than products, they deserve more than the torture and slaughter that we enforce on them. And when I went vegetarian to start my journey, I was on a cruise ship. How old were you? I was 26. I'm 34 now. So I, I messaged them, I, I told them, and, I, and they couldn't believe it. And then when I came home and I was still vegetarian after being away for a year, and I told them to watch Earthlings, which is a documentary showcasing all the ways that animals are exploited and slaughtered and the, the process step-by-step. Step. Great documentary. I think everyone should watch it. I showed it to them. They didn't want to see it. My dad was actually very opposed to the idea of watching because he's apparently very sensitive to animal cruelty, which I found fascinating and something that I'd never known about him. And then, you know, I said, well, if you can't even watch it, how can you pay for it? Don't you want to see what happens? You've been eating animals your entire life and you don't even know what they go through for you to eat them. Don't you owe it to them to just spend two hours just seeing it for once in your whole life? And, you know, eventually I convinced them, they watched it and mum said, dad said, that's sad, but we're not changing. And I was kind of confused and I was just at the start of learning how to advocate for this cause. So I didn't really know how to respond. So I just said, well, thanks for watching. And then the next day, mum got a Big Mac meal from McDonald's 
And then she was like, you know what? Actually, I'm going vegetarian. This is this <laughs> freaked me out a little bit eating this. Why? Because it tastes disgusting? <laughs> no, I think it tastes yummy for her. I think that, you know, she was eating it, but then she was having all these images come through of what she'd seen in the documentary. And I think that was something that had never, she never connected to eating a burger and thinking about animals getting their throats slashed open, basically. It was a totally new concept for her, even though obviously she knows she's eating dead animals. But the way that it is sold to us, the way that it is packaged, the way that it is so normal in our society, we don't think of it as a bad thing because we don't really know any better. And she was just one of those people. So no, I was very much not an animal rights activist. I didn't even like animals. We had a couple of dogs over the years. I did not bond with them really at all, our family dogs. I was very much not an animal lover. I actually kind of tried to avoid them. I didn't care about them. And yeah, it was just through education, through realizing how wrong I was about some of my beliefs and furthering my education into understanding who animals are and what they go through and how much better they deserve. That was how my journey kind of started. And that was at 26, you said? 26, exactly right. Before that, I was eating steak for breakfast. I was a personal trainer. I was telling everyone to be on a high animal protein diet. If you don't eat meat, you will not be healthy. I was getting vegetarians. I was cooking. Uh, I remember cooking fish for a vegetarian. She was eating the perfect diet and I had no idea. I'm like, potatoes? You know, what are you talking about? You can't live like this. And I was telling her that all the things she was eating was unhealthy. She needed to add animal products. I even cooked them for her, trying to convert her. Just had no idea what I was doing. Thinking I knew, just doing what all the other personal trainers were doing, basically. And I'm so, so, so glad that I have changed and um, learned and grown. And, you know, my information that I'm sharing with people now is saving their lives. It's saving the animals' lives. It is the change that the world needs to see in terms of peace opposed to nonviolence. It is a message that helps people understand who we share this planet with. They are non-human people. They are people of other species with their own heart, their own brain, their own desires, their own family, their own way that they play, their own language and communication. You know, they're extremely sophisticated, intelligent beings, even fish, even chickens, everybody. And um, we know we're all just different in our own ways, but you know the things that we share are the things that really matter, and that is our ability to be conscious and aware. So a sentience being is what we all are, that what we share in common through our heart and our brain, and then the capacity to experience suffering and to want to avoid suffering and the desire to want to live. That's what we all share in common among many, many other things like eating, breathing, sleeping, you know, et cetera, et cetera, having the same organs. Um, we bleed the same. We would act the same in the experience of being slaughtered as a cow does. They scream, they cry, they try to get out of the way, they try to escape. They look up with their eyes begging or in terror or all the same things that we would do, basically. They're people and they just um, are in slightly different bodies than we are. So yeah, it's a huge mindset shift, a huge transformation, and it's very similar as well to other forms of discrimination that we've had. Like what I'm talking about is speciesism, where we discriminate against one species based on the species that they are a member of. So for example, we put dogs to a certain level. We love our dogs. We won't slaughter dogs. We won't eat dogs. Some countries do, but we condemn them for it. We say that's wrong. You shouldn't be eating dogs. But Pigs, cows, chickens, fish, we're more than happy to torture, slaughter, breed into existence so that we can do it all over again and again and again. An eternal cycle of violence. And then animals like panda bears, dolphins, 
We don't want them to be slaughtered. We care about them. So this is speciesism. This is how it is shown in our society. I was walking past a butcher yesterday and I saw a sign for pet mints, which was basically minced animals to feed your companion animal. And you see these kind of double standards all over the place. You know, even just in general, our entire society would all rational, logical people would say that they're opposed to animal cruelty. And they are on some level, except for when they are the ones paying for it and reaping the benefits of it in terms of the enjoyment of the taste that they get. But I think the beauty is that most people are simply just confused. They think they need to eat animals to be healthy, which is a huge core reason of why people do this. And they think the animals aren't worthy of our protection or, you know, we're superior so we can do what we want kind of feelings. This is all speciesism playing out. And, you know, we've seen different forms of discrimination like racism and sexism, which have a different type of hierarchy where we have men at the top, for example, in sexism and women below, or we have white people believing that they are superior to black people leading to their enslavement. And these are the things that we realize now, this is so wrong. How could we have been so ridiculous in thinking that just because someone's skin is a different color, that we get to own their life, force them into work, not pay them, treat them like slaves. So we we realize that these things are wrong now. We've made a lot of progress, although not perfect still in many parts of the world. And the big one that where most people, the vast majority of humans on the planet the connection that people are missing out on making is seeing the person in the bodies of all these other species. And when we can see that, it doesn't matter if you agree that they are equal or not. You don't have to think that a dog is equal to a human. You may save a human every single time if there's a burning building and there's a dog and a human. Although sometimes you may save your family dog over saving Hitler, for example, or a child abuser. What this does is just shows that um, we have preferences. You know, we have preferences to save a human because we understand the human experience, so that makes sense. But it doesn't mean that just because you might always save the human, that therefore it gives us the justification to enslave, mutilate, torture, slaughter, and eat the bodies of the other species. So we can see humans as unique and special in our own ways, But I think what's important is to see that uniqueness and that specialness in the other beings and then just extending to them the golden rule, you know, to treat them the way that they clearly want to be treated, to not do things to them that we wouldn't want done to us. None of us would want to be slaughtered, even if it's humanely slaughtered, which means nothing for the victims. And therefore, we shouldn't humanely slaughter them. It's a very simple concept that even children can understand. It's just about hearing the message, I think, in the right way and being willing to put your morals where your mouth is, basically, and um, align your actions with your values, which comes with learning. Mm. Humanely slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's totally ridiculous, although it is shockingly effective marketing. So there's a really interesting story that Gary Roski, who was a a retired animal rights activist now, he told, told a story about a Nazi soldier who becomes frustrated with another soldier who is killing women and children. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? You don't kill them like that. Kill them more nicely. And this is a similar type of idea of humane slaughter. It's murder. If I murder my brother after him having an amazing life, 
of 30 years and he he's so has a great life, whatever, and then I kill him in his sleep and he doesn't feel a thing. The judge is going to put me away for murder. I'm not going to be able to say, but judge, he had a great life. He didn't even feel it, you know? Come on, man. It's humane. No way. He's going to say, you are even sicker than I thought if you actually believe that. And you're going to have to go away for a long time. You've ended someone's life against their will. That's one of the most cruel things that you can do. We all agree upon that as a society. That's why murder gets such a severe penalty. And so it should. And when it comes to humane slaughter of animals, it's just words used to make us feel better. You'll notice that the meat companies would never show this humane slaughter. In fact, what they do is do everything they can to hide it from consumers the laws that are there to protect these industries and to make examples of the activists who are exposing these industries are just so immoral, I would say. The animals that get humanely slaughtered, first of all, the humane methods of slaughter involve either shooting a bolt through an animal's skull. This is after they've gone through the slaughterhouse. It's scary. They're hearing screaming. They're being pushed around, prodded, electric prods. This is after a life of generally confinement, different mutilations, et cetera, et cetera. Many of them don't even make it to this point because they get so sick. And that's actually part of the reason why 80% of the world's antibiotics go to farmed animals. So these animals either get bolted in the head and then shackled upside down and have their throat slashed open, or they get electrocuted. They have a, like a, it's like a clamp that goes over their heads. And then from their brain to their heart, they move it, and that is firing electricity through their body. Wait, this is the humane way? This is humane, yep. This is what they describe as humane. And then the most humane method in Australia, and they also classify it as the most humane in Canada, in the US, in the UK, is gas chambers. So they will force animals into gas chambers, and they don't just peacefully fall asleep. You can see the footage online. They thrash, they scream, they cry, they bang their heads frantically against the bars. They are clearly in immense suffering. They're being tortured to death. They burn from the inside out the way the gas reacts to parts of um, what's inside their body. It basically feels like they're on fire from the inside out. You see them thrash, scream until they eventually pass out, and then they get stabbed in the throat, chopped up into pieces as well. This is all said to be humane. How can you have a humane gas chamber? How can you humanely stab animals in the throat? It's just a word that makes people feel better about their choices and um, confuses people. So the best way to, to, to really know if something is humane, because humane, just for anybody who's not sure, means to show compassion. Okay, so you show compassion. So I would say that euthanasia is humane. An animal is clearly suffering. There's no way to help them other than putting them out of their misery. That would be a a humane act, a compassionate act. But we're not talking about euthanasia here. These animals desperately don't want to die. They fight for their lives every single time. And so to describe murder is what it is. It's the ending of their life against their will. The word murder is usually described just in a human case, but when you get to a point of seeing that they are people too, I don't think at all that the word murder isn't rightfully theirs to be called as well. I think it more accurately describes their situation. To see their suffering like this, to watch the humane slaughter, and then after to still think it was humane, it just shows how easily people are manipulated, unfortunately. And I was one of them, and most people are. 
And these industries that are doing this, they know exactly how to manipulate us. They have pumped fortunes of money into how to make people continue buying their products. And they're absolute experts at it. They have milk in children's schools. They are constantly selling meat everywhere you look. It's on every single corner and every single restaurant. They tote it as being healthy and grass-fed, free-range. All of these things mean absolutely nothing to the victims. Yeah, so when you, when you want to know if something's humane, just imagine putting yourself in that situation and then see how you would feel if it was you in that. If you wouldn't like it done to you, you can probably be pretty sure that it's not humane. And I'm sure we couldn't find a single person on the planet to put their hands up to be humanely slaughtered. Not a single one. So how can we force it upon 2.7 trillion animals every single year? It's a number that we can't even comprehend. I've got full goosebumps. For me, I was similar to your dad many years ago and didn't want to watch the documentaries like Earthlings and Dominion. And they were a big catalyst for you to go on this journey. And they were also a huge catalyst for me in the end when I did look at them because someone like you said the same thing to me. Well, how can you eat animal products if you aren't even willing to look at the whole picture? And so I thought, okay, I'm open-minded. I will watch these documentaries and I'll look at the whole picture. And I watched these documentaries and I changed instantly. I was one of those people that just went cold turkey, complete cold turkey. I was like, this, I just can't do it for health reasons, for the animal reasons and for the environment. You know, those are the three biggest things for me. And my husband and I have both been on this journey now for over a year. And we're just so grateful that we actually looked at those documentaries and we watch them and we'll link to all of them in the show notes as well. What are your top three favorites that you recommend people check out? I'm so glad to hear that you change so easily. It's something that people do in so many different ways. Some people go vegetarian, some people go vegan overnight, some people it's a process, but you're a perfect example that it can be done like that. It is very easy and it's never been easier to do this and it's there's never been more reasons why. In terms of my favorite documentaries, Everyone's different. So I will just say three that cover a few different topics, but there are so many documentaries on each of these topics. And the more you watch, the more convinced you will be that it's the only lifestyle that makes sense for every reason. You sacrifice nothing, you gain so much. You know, the benefits are just absolutely endless. I would say that a more updated version of Earthlings because that's quite an old documentary now, although basically nothing has changed in regards to how the animals are treated, is a documentary called Dominion, which is based almost entirely in Australian factory farms and slaughterhouses where 95 plus percent of animal products come from. And this documentary shows step by step the process, what pigs go through, what cows go through, what chickens go through, what fish go through, et cetera, et cetera so that you can see the lives that these animals have. I think it's an extremely important documentary to watch because after watching something like that for an hour or two, where it's basically it's like a real-life horror movie, you're going to feel things. Or if you don't, you know, because I didn't actually the first time I watched Slaughterhouse footage, I felt nothing because I was still of the mindset that we need to eat animals to be healthy, so I didn't see the point of feeling guilty about it. But either way, whether you feel something or not, if you keep in mind that, Every single slaughter that you see is completely avoidable easily by just doing what vegans are already doing. Um, I think it can be a great motivation for you. 
And just learning the process more will also aid you in when you, if you decide to take on this lifestyle, it will aid you in your conviction when you are addressing this topic with people or when they're addressing it with you, which is even more common. It depends on what kind of vegan you are. So anyway, Dominion is that documentary. You can go to watchdominion.com and I would recommend trying to sit through the entire thing. Just do it once. You know, I've watched it like nearly 20 times, but you can watch it once. If you can just get through it that once, I think that'll be enough to spur some change and motivation because it gets so much easier. It feels daunting to make this change, but it gets so much easier when you have motivation over here, motivation over there. And I think for most vegans, there's no bigger motivation than ending so much slaughter, so much violence against these poor, innocent beings that don't deserve it. Then in terms of the health side of things, I think that the best documentary for health that is current is called The Game Changers. It shows about how you can be an athlete and perfectly healthy on a vegan diet. It's a very good documentary. But um, I actually like a more old school documentary on this topic. It's called Forks Over Knives. And it is based on the largest study ever conducted on the relationship between nutrition and disease. And it's a very fascinating study. It's called the China, China Study. And the bottom line was that, you know, after following thousands of people for decades, the optimal diet for the human body is a diet free from all animal products. That is regarding getting all your nutrients, longevity, and also vastly reducing, in many cases, your likelihood of developing many life-threatening or just suffering-inducing diseases. And then in terms of the environment, which is um, something that people some people are quite concerned about, and if that is you, then it will make sense to watch Cowspiracy, which will help you understand that if you are saying that you're an environmentalist while eating animals, it's like saying you are a feminist while you are beating a woman. It doesn't make any sense to do that. It also doesn't make any sense just while we're on the topic to call yourself a feminist. If you're only a feminist for the women of one species, the dairy industry exploits the female reproductive system. They um, forcibly impregnate these cows. They take their babies away. They milk them every day. They re-impregnate them. They steal their babies again. Eventually, they slaughter the mothers and, and they slaughter all the male calves as well because they're seen as waste product in the dairy industry. This is just one example of why it would make sense to be vegan if you were a feminist as well. There are many examples of this. But the documentary Cowspiracy shows that Basically, animal agriculture is a leading cause of the vast majority of environmental destruction we're seeing today regarding greenhouse gas emissions, food wastage, water wastage, water pollution, creation of ocean dead zones, many, many different issues. So watching that will give you an education there. And all this together is more than enough motivation for most people. But then on top of that, what you need to do is uh, figure out what the hell you're going to eat because most people, all they know is I have a big steak here, I have some veggies here, I have some, you know, whatever, potatoes here or something. Um, and the beauty of switching your lifestyle, it's so funny because you take away a few foods, you take away meat, you take away dairy, you take away eggs. And instead of just having cow's milk, now you can have rice milk, almond milk, soy milk, coconut milk, hazelnut milk, hemp milk, da 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 There's so many that all of a sudden you are going to try and, you know, my favorite's rice milk. It's very sweet or oat milk is very good. Instead of having meat, you start having all the different beans and the lentils and all that. You start enjoying tofu and tempeh. You try all the vegan meat 
substitutes, which are basically identical to me. And it's so fun and trippy to you try this one. You're like, oh my God, is this actually meat? This tastes so much like chicken. And um, it's very fun just experimenting with all these things. But yeah, learning, learning some recipes. So we both had oats for breakfast. For lunch, I'm probably going to have tofu and avocado sushi, brown rice. For dinner, maybe we'll have a curry. There's just millions of recipes. And that would be the next step after watching the documentaries to figure out what are you going to have for breakfast? What are you going to have for lunch? What are you going to have for dinner? And I'm um, choosing a few that you can cycle through so that you are finding an enjoyable meal that is satiating for you, easy for you to make, and um, something you can be consistent with. We'll link to all of those documentaries in the show notes if anyone wants to go and watch them. I highly recommend going and watching them. And I also wanted to add in there Gary Roski's The Best Speech Ever, which is so good. That really got me. I've been uh, desperate to get him on the podcast. I really want to get him on the podcast. Good luck. I know, I know. He's incredible. And that speech that he gave really did shift something within me. So I'll link to that as well in the show notes. And if people are thinking, but I don't know what to eat or I don't know where to start, there's this amazing thing called Google. And you can type in plant-based recipes and thousands and thousands and thousands of incredible recipes will come up. We have no excuse. You know, it's not like back in the day where you might have had to go and buy a cookbook. You don't have to do that. You just type in vegan curry and the most delicious pumpkin and chickpea curry recipe can come up. You know, that we're we're not short of recipes. And I say this often, you need to, if you don't already, fall in love with cooking and being in the kitchen because it's something that you have to do for the rest of your life for a minimum three times a day. So you may as well fall in love with it. It's one of those things like brushing your teeth. Most people probably don't go, oh, I love brushing my teeth, but it's just something you have to do. So you may as well find the joy in it. And same with cooking. You've got to find the joy in it. You're nourishing your beautiful temple that you've been gifted in this lifetime. You only get one. So we've got to take care of it and look after it and nourish it. Going back to what I said at the very start of this is one of the ways that I discovered you was through this 365-day vow of silence that you did for the animals. You wanted to be a voice for the voiceless. So how was that for you? 365 days of not speaking. I watched when you were on TV where you spoke for the very first time and you were like, oh, this feels weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Apart from it feeling weird, tell me about the process, the internal process. What did you realize? What were the insights, the downloads? How was this for you? It was a long year and it came with many, many learnings and many epiphanies. The goal was simply to draw attention to what I was doing, which would draw attention to the lifestyle I was living. So I planned to travel around Australia for a year, voiceless. So not speaking at all, not to myself, not at all. And writing a blog about this journey, ideally, this I thought would be something that would garner some attention. And if one person ate one less steak, I would be happy. I started the vow of silence the day I became vegan as well. So I'm the first vegan ever that didn't talk about veganism for a year after going vegan, except I did in my writing. <laughs> Basically, yeah, you know, I traveled around. I met animals. I went to sanctuaries and met these animals for the first time that I was speaking up for. I learned so much about. Now, this is where I really started seeing animals for who they are. For example, 
at a sanctuary, we were taking care of a rescued bobby calf, which is one of the, the male calves that are seen as waste products in the dairy industry. So they get sent to slaughter because they don't produce milk. I met one of these animals and I took care of him for about six weeks. And, you know, seeing him pining for his mother and treating me kind of in similar ways, headbutting me in the leg, they headbutt their mum's udder to show them that they want milk. And him just communicating with me, chasing me around like a dog does and all these kind of things. That was a huge moment for me where I finally started seeing these animals more as who they are. When I left, actually, his name was Rupert. And when I left, because I wasn't speaking, I'd seen him for six weeks. I was looking at him thinking, okay, I've got to say goodbye. It's time to move on. And I thought to him something like, Rupert, it's been so good getting to know you, man. I've had so much fun. I've learned so much. I'm so sorry what happened, what happened to you and what happens to your family. But we're really trying to help people make this connection and um, we're trying to end this. So we're working on that. And I'm saying all this stuff in my head, just thinking it. And then he's looking at me the whole time. Right? And he walks over to me after I'm done. And he did something that he hadn't done the entire six weeks that I'd known him. He comes up and he just nuzzled his head in my leg, which he never did because I was the one that fed him the milk. So he's always like hassling me, kind of forcefully, like shoving his head into me and that. And it was amazing. And it, you know, it tripped me out. I was like, did he hear me? What's going on? He's, he's like, he knew I was saying goodbye in my head. It was so weird. You know, and I think that animals are very observant of their surroundings of energy of this and that you know i'm not saying that he heard me but it was a very fascinating experience throughout the year i traveled to many factory farms in the night obviously they don't just let you cruise on in and take a tour they don't want people to see what happens in these places we did a lot of rescues we um i saw just the most horrendous things that you could imagine in every single one of them and i went into dozens tell us something you saw i mean i saw you know i'd go to a pig farm that you could you see it in every single one basically. So I go into a pig farm, for example, and you've got huge mothers stuck in cages so small that they can't even step to the side. They're, it's as wide, the cage is as wide as their body is. And um, they're stuck there. They can stand up, they can stand down. The bars are digging into them. They're on this hard metal flooring. Their babies are all around. A lot of the babies don't make it. They're not being cared for the way they need to be cared for. So they're you know, I'd, I'd go in there and I'd hear them just squealing and crying and dying and just suffering in their last moments. You know, just pieces of animals all over the place, dead bodies everywhere. The smell was absolutely filthy. Animals are bruised and beaten. Some of them, are, you know, been there for a few days dead and all the gases are in their body just expanding. They've gone green. Other animals are eating them. I saw in these small cages, for example, these baby pigs the piglets one of them was getting crushed all of a sudden i heard this very loud squealing and um, i ran over and the mother was pressing the piglet against the bars and crushing her and um you know like this i mean yeah i could go on and on and on about the things i saw in these places that you know kind of haunt me but um basically no matter where you look there is suffering the whole system is just built for profit and not at all for the welfare of the animals. And yeah, it's just, it's just horrendous. So, you know, what I learned through being voiceless was that having a voice that you can communicate with is very, very helpful. Um, it's something that the animals have, but we don't understand the way they communicate. Even when they scream, we're just like, oh, you know, what's that? People just don't even listen to their screams and cries. 
but they actually are very sophisticated. Pigs, for example, can say up to 80 different things with their body language and their vocal speech. So they're highly, it's a highly sophisticated language. They're actually one of the smartest animals on the planet. I think it's the third, fourth, or fifth smartest. I can't remember. Anyway, the value of having a voice, and that's basically what separates us from other species, is our complicated voice box. So we've been born with, human body has a sophisticated voice box. It gave us an ability to create a sophisticated language. Using this language, we were able to share information and build on that and build on that and start recording information. And that's basically what enabled us to create this kind of society we have now. And that's sort of where a, a major point of difference with us and other beings. Yeah, I mean, I just, I listened a lot and I, I didn't realize until I actually started speaking again that a major shift had happened inside of me. So I, I was thinking maybe this will be a huge spiritual awakening journey, something, something, doing this, you know, not speaking for a year. I know monks do that and yeah, it could be cool. I didn't really notice anything like that except until I started talking again. And I was talking again after a bit, and I realized that there was a new process in me speaking. Before, it would be like, you know, I'd have a thought and it was coming out of my mouth, basically, almost simultaneously. But then what I realized was my thoughts had a new place to go where they would be sorted into a more concise, well-structured version of what I wanted to say. And that's because being voiceless... I was constantly trying, you know, people were reading my lips and reading my body language and these kind of things. So I was constantly trying to say things in the most concise, practical way for my situation. And um, I think that helped me a lot after when I started speaking again, because all of a sudden, everyone had heard about me do, do this thing. Millions of people watched the interview of me speaking for the first time, and everybody wanted to hear the story. So I went into public speaking. And that is where I think that benefit of the vowel science came in very handy, uh, especially, you know, you're engaging with people on a topic that they can get very heated about. People get very defensive when you question their food, especially if they're, they're believing that God said it's okay for them to eat animals and, you know, whatever justification they're using to incite this violence. Often God, ironically, is the justification. Yeah. Apart from that, it was overall just a very important journey for me because it did garner so much awareness regarding veganism and animal rights. And, you know, since then I've had speeches like it was ironic again because not having a voice gave me a voice that many people wanted to listen to. I had a speech that got 12 million views, just a 10-minute version of the speech, specifically about animal rights. And so many people went vegan from that and, you know, the seeds are continuing being planted. So overall, it was just a very, I'm very grateful I went on that journey, despite me, everybody telling me not to do it for the first year of planning, you know, even during, I was like, man, six months in, I wish I said six months, not a year, but overall it was so important and, you know, led to a lot of people changing their life and, you know, reducing the demand for the violence. Mm, I'll link to the interview where you speak for the first time because it's really great. And this was when you were 27, did you say? So that was in, I started the Vow of Silence January 1st, 2014. So it was about a year and two months after I first went vegetarian. And it was the day I went vegan because up until that point, you know, I didn't have any vegans around me at all. I was just self-studying animal rights and realizing Oh, okay, I think being vegetarian isn't actually enough. The dairy industry, the egg industry, leather, places like SeaWorld that exploit animals, circuses that use animals, 
animals used for testing products like shampoo, all of these things, I don't want to... Cruelty is cruelty. Suffering is suffering. An animal is an animal. It doesn't make sense to be against cruelty, the cows, and not against the monkeys in the labs. It doesn't make sense to be against this type of particular cruelty. But that type of cruelty, that's okay. Let's call that one humane. So overall, veganism is just about not causing harm as far as practically possible. And there's a pretty small list of things in your typical lifestyle that you will have to tweak. It's food, that's the main one, because you eat three times a day. Then it's clothing, but I mean, me personally, I buy clothes like every six months or a year, if that. So it's very rare that I have to worry about that. When I do, I just look up vegan clothing, buy vegan materials, it's easy. We have vegan leather now made out of pineapple and mushroom and leaves and all kind of weird, interesting, cool things. The products I get are vegan, so it's a simple tweak. The day that I started my vow of silence was the day that I said, okay, I'm sick of kind of being half in, half out, being a bit of a hypocrite. How can I take a vow of silence for animals and still be eating cheese? This isn't going to work. So yeah, that's when it was. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people don't often think about is, okay, I'm going to go vegan or go more plant-based, but then I'm still buying products that are being tested on animals. And you know, that's something that we need to think about and the products, the clothing and the products that we buy. So that's another area that people can start to become more aware and conscious and remember that we vote with our dollar. And every time you hand over money, you're saying that you believe in that company and their brand and their ethos. So just be really mindful of that. Become a conscious consumer and know that every time you hand over money, it's making a difference. Absolutely. And there's so many options like you know, I go to the supermarket and it's no stress at all. I'm like, okay, I'll buy these vegan sausages. I'll buy that vegan chicken if I want. I'll buy that vegan milk. There's a vegan cheese over there. These are the most common supermarkets in Australia that are in pretty much every town. Um, a lot of countries are like this, but if not, there are many, many, many options available online that will get sent straight to your door in terms of makeup and cleaning products, things like this. But don't let it overwhelm you. I know that thinking about changing every single thing in your life overnight might feel like a lot. So just start with what you can start with. What's your next meal going to be? Can you make it vegan? You know, and you can. And if you feel like you can't make it as vegan as you can, and maybe the next meal you have will be there. Like, just do what you can. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't think that I can't be perfect. So why do anything? Just start. I started by going vegetarian and then I did a bit of this and then I did a bit of that. But as Melissa is a perfect example of, you know, anyone can do this. You can do it overnight if you want. And yeah, we just, we have everything available to us to do it. And it's not just, it's, it's so much about what you said, Melissa, about voting with your dollar. That is, you know, how supply and demand works. And that's why we're seeing such a surge in businesses adopting vegan products. You know, the most recent one, which I've been waiting for for years, although I didn't think I would ever see it in my lifetime. So I'm, things are going great compared to the timeline I was on is McDonald's throwing out a McPlant, which I think is a ridiculous name, but whatever. McPlant, a vegan burger that will taste like meat, from what I hear. And this is so huge. To go from, you know, where can I get a vegan burger to being able to get a vegan burger at every single McDonald's is potentially where this is going. To be able to get vegan Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is also a thing in certain stores in the US. You know, to have the accessibility of this of these vegan products go to this level shows that obviously there's a demand for it. And that's why these huge businesses are 
getting on board and it's so good to see. But on top of the vote with your dollar thing, do you really want to put into your mouth, into your body, the product of rape and torture and suffering and misery and slashing the throat open and then eat that body or you know have an animal that's been tested on for months or years to the point that they poison them enough to kill them and then you want to put that cream on your face like it's just bad vibes it's such bad vibes and one of the most cool things about being vegan just as a personal benefit is and so many vegans I know agree with this, that it doesn't even matter if your meal is that delicious because sometimes it's not. Just like when I was a meat eater, sometimes my meals were just ridiculous and they weren't well thought through or anything at all. As a vegan, sometimes, yeah, you just eat whatever you eat, whatever you got in the fridge, and it might not be that delicious, but you just still enjoy it so much on, on this level this different level that wasn't there before because you know, okay, whatever, is it tasty? I don't know, not that much. But I know no one got slaughtered for it and that makes it still better than every meal I ever ate before. And then on top of that, when you start you know, making your meals taste so good, the joy of eating is just so on another level. Like you just feel so good. You just eat it. It's just this there's just this vibe and it's different and it's better and it's how it's supposed to be. It feels so good knowing that no one died so that you can get nutrients and no one has to. And that's, that's the beauty of it all. So if no one needs to, then why would you force someone to, you know, it's very, yeah, I, I can only think of really ignorance. You would do it because you don't know any better or you don't think animals matter and add any justification you want. But um, yeah, there's, there's many joys that come from living this lifestyle. Mm, definitely. So many joys. And I've had so many experts, doctors on this show, and there are so many others out there that have proven to us through science that you don't need meat and animal products to be healthy. So if you need the science, then there is so much out there. Dr. Michael Greger is an amazing, he's got an incredible book called How Not to Die. And someone once said to me, if you want to be alive, eat alive food, not mm -hmm. dead flesh. <laughs> of course. And I was like, oh, that, like this light bulb went off at me. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yep. Something you spoke about, you spoke about the joy of eating and the pleasure of eating. You battled with an eating disorder. Can you talk a little bit about when that was in your life? Like what age range was that? What was going on for you and how did you heal your eating disorder? Oh, such a great question. I love talking about this because I'm so used to just talking about vegan stuff. But this is actually, I think, a very fascinating conversation and something that can help a lot of people as well. So yeah, what started for me, I mean, I was always a big eater growing up. I was always very physically active. I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 17. It was leukemia and lymphoma. I was very sick. I, um, they gave me six weeks to live if I didn't start chemo straight away. And during this experience, I put on about 25 kilos very, very quickly um, to the point that I have stretch marks on my sides from this experience that are very thick, that my skin ripped open and bled. So I was eating a lot of food. In fact, it was pretty much all I was doing. I was stuck in hospital by myself, wasn't allowed to leave. And I was just eating, 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 eating. I had an insatiable appetite. And I was comfort eating 
And I didn't know that I was comfort eating. I didn't know what comfort eating was until years later. So this started me on a type of comfort eating, binge eating situation. And then this got pretty out of control because when you are trying to feel peaceful through food, you're never going to because there's no peace in food. The peace comes from inside. You have to grow it yourself. You have to generate inner peace. You can't get it from food or a drug or a TV or anything like these things. I didn't know that. I'm like, no, I can get it from food. I'll just eat more. And I would never get what I was hoping for. I keep trying, keep trying. And it was just futile. And this led me to one day, I remember, it was a Christmas. I ate way too much, as you do. And I felt so sick. I was like, man, I feel like I could just throw this up and I'd probably feel better. And then I was like, why not? Why? Yeah, do it. You'll feel better. So I did. And I felt better. I was like, shit, I could actually eat again. Um, perfect, because I'm addicted to eating because I think it's going to make me feel good. So this led to doing this a little bit, like occasionally when it was when I have a really big binge, I'd purge. And um, then this eventually led to a frequent thing where I'd be doing it multiple times a day because why not? I could eat as much as I want. I could. It could be total, like all garbage, all junk food. Throw it up, boom, you know, no worries. But then it got to the point where I actually felt like I was out of control. I couldn't stop. And I was starting to feel really down on myself. I was a personal trainer. I had been for years. And I was just like, how am I telling people how to eat when I don't even know how to eat? And I didn't. I was telling them how to eat animals, basically. But on another level, how can I tell people how to eat consciously, mindfully, the right way when I have no idea I'm probably worse than they are even though my body looks fit and I was suffering and I was trying and I was reading and doing all of these things and then I worked on the cruise ship I still had my problem there but I was trying through restriction just to get a, a handle on it although it wasn't working that well then when I ended up planning for my vow of silence the place that I had the idea for the Vow of Science was during a 10-day meditation course called Vipassana. You don't speak for 10 days, you meditate like 10 hours a day for 10 days. That's where I had the idea of the Vow of Science. During this time, I learned a technique, the Vipassana technique, which is basically teaches you how to sit with uncomfortable sensations and observe them. And what you will find is that they're impermanent and they pass. And I felt confident that there might be something in this technique to help me with my binge eating, my bulimia, it was. It wasn't like a body issue thing. Like some people with bulimia, it was more just a food addiction, can't stop eating until I'm sick kind of thing. And I start practicing this technique. Soon later, a week later, I go to buy my friend a book called The Power, which is an amazing book. The Power by Rhonda Byrne, it teaches you how to find gratitude and the love in basically every situation, to always look on the bright side. Fantastic book. I've read it so many times. I absolutely love it. But I couldn't find it, so I was looking for other books that she might enjoy, and there was one called End Emotional Eating by Dr. Jennifer Tates. I cannot stress how good this book is to anybody who wants to get a better handle of their food, of how to eat intuitively and in the right way for their body. And this book was basically the Vipassana technique that I just learned and become so fascinated by, specifically regarding food and how to eat. And one of the first exercises was put a blueberry in your mouth and just let it be there and don't eat it. 
just let it be in your mouth and feel the desire to chew and what that feels like and all these kind of things. Just observe how your body reacts. And for me, to taste anything sweet, that would be it for me. I would be on a junk food binge, chocolate, ice cream, whatever. So keeping this in my mouth and feeling how strong the sensations were, this led to a practice of me trying to eat mindfully and eat slowly, put my knife and fork down after every bite, chew, taste the food, just be mindful with it. Feel the urge to eat more after, but just feel it. And this urge for me at this time was so strong sometimes because I was fighting. I'm like, I need to get out of this cycle. I have to break this binge purge cycle. It's killing me. It's ruining my life. And one time I remember I ate my food and after every meal, I would always eat something else. Even if my plate was empty and I was full, I'd always go eat something else. It was just a habit. And I went to do that. I'm like, no, don't. You don't need it. You just ate a whole plate of food. You're just playing into the, the habit here. I went downstairs and I did my technique, the Vipassana technique, the technique I learned in the book, went into my body, felt, where is this sensation? What does it feel like? It's like a gripping feeling in my chest. It's so strong. It's very uncomfortable. Okay, sit with it. And just like with a cigarette smoker, for example, if you smoke cigarettes, you're addicted to nicotine. You know that if you smoke a cigarette, when you have a craving, it will get rid of your craving. What people don't understand or don't think about perhaps, or don't know on the experiential level, is that even if you don't smoke the cigarette, your craving for nicotine will pass. Just like every feeling that has come into you and gone through you. It comes in, it passes. It comes in, it passes. If you let it, you either let it come in and let it pass naturally, and that is you taking a step out of your addiction, out of your habit pattern of reacting the same way you always do, or you have the cigarette and you go a step deeper into your addiction, teaching yourself that you can't handle these sensations unless you do this particular action, smoke the cigarette, get the nicotine. One time it was so strong after this meal that I went to bed and I was just, I was moving around in discomfort and then it knocked me out and I woke up and I was like, wow, I feel like that was a very important moment in my life and I'm like a big step out of the hole. If I can handle a, a wave of discomfort like that, you know, I feel pretty prepared for all the other waves. And I'm, it helped me. It helped. It was like surfing. It helped me learn how to surf bigger waves and bigger discomfort. So over the year, I did this. When I was planning my vow of science, kept practicing this type of mindful eating, but, but it wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the problem for me. And then when I took my vow of science, I didn't want to be a bad representation of the vegan lifestyle. I didn't want to start promoting veganism. And then it come out that I have an eating disorder. So I said, I'm going to go vegan on this day, January 1st, 2014. I am going to do a vow of science this day for a year, and I am never going to binge and purge again starting today. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but you know, I don't know if I, how I'm going to do it, but I just know that this path is bad, and I just want to see what happens. So a week into this deal with myself, this vow, I had a binge. I was alone. I was bored. I got a tub of ice cream, vegan ice cream, and a tub of peanut butter. Great combination. And I ate pretty much the entire tub and jar of peanut butter. And I felt absolutely disgusting. You know, just so full and so sick and oh, so many calories. And you idiot, James. Why did you do that? And then I thought about spewing so easy. You know, I could have easily done that. I uh, got rid of all the that was making me feel sick. But then I thought, no, you know where that path leads? To misery. So too bad. 
you made a decision. You said you're not doing that anymore. You're going to sit with it. So I sat with it and I just felt so, so bad. And the next day I still kind of felt disgusting. You know, I went to sleep, woke up, still felt disgusting, but I didn't purge. And I was like, hell yeah, man. And then the next time I had a binge a couple of weeks later or whatever, I stopped a little sooner because I was like, you know, you're not going to throw this up. You're going to have to sit with all this food. Better just to stop now rather than keep eating and feel even worse. And this was kind of my process out a bit later. I was like, "Mm, I could binge, but you know what you're going to do? You're going to have to sit there and feel like shit. So maybe I just won't. It basically, over about a year, I would say, I, I never slipped up on my vow. Over about a year, I would say, of this process of, you know, observing the cravings rather than reacting to them and, and playing with my sensations like this, it led to me now, I cannot believe it, but, you know, I have the most ideal relationship with food that I could possibly ask for. I never thought it was possible for me because I was always a big eater. I was always bit of a slave to my cravings but you know now i can take it or leave it i I just have total choice total control i'm not out of control at all with it sometimes i'll still eat a bit of junk food like we had some cake the other day for my wife's birthday and it was no big deal had a bit before if i had a taste i would have had to eat a whole cake and then go buy some more food i had a slither i'm like yeah it's yummy cool it's just whatever it's a choice now so i choose how to eat and i choose to eat in the most healthy way i know how for the vast majority of time something that a lot of people don't realize that you can you know because i didn't think so i thought i was always going to have a problem and now i see it just like yeah i had a problem when i had a flu once for a week or two and then i was totally fine and i see this as very similar i was sick for a while and now i'm totally fine and actually because of my sickness i have more of an immunity i would say because of the way i came out of it because not only did i just stop being sick but i actually strengthened my body to be resistant to that sickness again through my mind and through understanding how I got sick and and the path I was on and how I came out of it. I would be absolutely shocked if I ever had a problem like that again regarding food. And yeah, it's a I think it's a important message for people to realize that you can totally see it in the past and um, completely come out of it and be so much better for it. Don't stop. If you haven't got to that point yet, your solution is out there. Keep looking for it. Keep searching. Don't ever settle for that life. It's not good enough. You deserve better. You can have better. The solution is waiting for you to find. And it might be work, but the work will be worth it. 100%. What are you working on within yourself at the moment or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? I am becoming a much better listener. I would say it saddens me to realize how often when I am talking with people that I am listening while in my head already saying the next thing I want to say. And I've become very aware of that very recently. So that is something I'm trying to work on. And I think I'm making some good progress there. I think it's going to be very helpful for my advocacy and things like that as well. And oh, okay. I'm so used to debating with everybody everybody you know and i talk to my mum and dad they're like what are you doing you're not at a cube of truth right now why are you having a debate with us and i think that yeah i want to shift my my approach from this kind of debate format to more just a discussion where are you at how do you feel about things i don't want to fight so much i don't want to argue so much with people i think it's just easier to try to come at it as you know okay let's talk like two friends you discuss your points i'll discuss mine 
I want to be more approachable so that people feel they can ask me anything without getting slammed. Because sometimes I do a bit of slamming because people will ask me things to provoke me and, you know, I fall for it. Yeah, ideally I want to just be someone who's very approachable so that they can ask me the questions if they want to ask them and I can give an answer without the negativity just comes from a place of love, compassion. And aside from that, the only other thing that I really want to work on currently is more structure in my life. Ever since my vow of silence, when I started that, I traveled around Australia. Since then, I traveled all over the world giving speeches and doing activism and whatever else. Right now is the first time that I'm looking for somewhere to live for six months. I haven't stayed anywhere for six months in the last seven years. So I'm, I'm so excited to see what I can achieve by having um, a place of my own where I can just have a bit of a routine and yeah, just tick all the boxes of the things that I want to do, like learn Portuguese and meditate every day and you know, just get fit and put out content that helps people make this connection. And that's pretty much it. Beautiful. Let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What is the one book you would choose? Mm. Well, if it wasn't for the animal holocaust happening right now, I would probably choose the book A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Excellent book that teaches people basically that the thoughts you have aren't always chosen by you. It's like a record stuck on repeat. You don't need to listen to them. You don't need to believe them. You should be very wary about believing them and very conscious of the types of thoughts you're having, the type of language you use when speaking to yourself, about yourself, the type of perspective you have on the type of person you are. All this is so important regarding how happy you are and how productive you are and things like that. A New Earth teaches you how to have inner peace, how to create inner peace, how to have peace with the moment. I think it's just an excellent book that would help people be yeah, a lot more peaceful and happy overall. But that's if everything was just absolutely chill everywhere and it's not. So the book I would choose is called The World Peace Diet by Dr. Will Tuttle. And it's probably the most comprehensive book on all things vegan. But why I think it would be the best one is it's like, you know, it covers everything. It covers the environmental impact. It covers the health benefits. So it's very important for people to learn how to eat. People don't even know what to eat. They don't know that a whole food plant-based diet is the best for the human body. That should be the first thing everybody learns in life. And the vast majority of people have got no clue. We haven't even talked about health very much regarding this diet. But as you said, you spoke to many doctors and things like that. But basically, yeah, it's if you're on a different diet, if you're including animal products in your diet, you're more likely to suffer. You're more likely to get diseases. You're more likely to, to have days off work. You're more likely to get on medications, need surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. So the World Peace Diet covers everything and it very well covers speciesism, which again, I think is such an important topic, especially for kids, because if you can get to the point where you see the value in a little bee or an ant, someone so small, someone so different from you, then how easy is it going to be when you see someone very, very similar to you, just maybe a different skin color or maybe the other sex, then how much easier is it going to be to respect them? You're being taught how to respect someone totally different from you. It's going to be much easier to respect someone very similar to you, I think. So I think that you know this speciesism also goes a long way and there are theories about it intersecting with other social justice issues. And you know it's basically the first form of discrimination that most of us are taught to love dogs, to eat pigs kind of thing. So I think that would be a really important topic for kids to understand. 
Absolutely. I want to hear about your morning routine and how your day looks. Take us through a typical day in your life. I know no two days are ever the same, but talk us through, you know, you shared what you would eat in a day on a typical day. Talk to us about your routines. Do you meditate when you work out? Talk us through that. Sure. I'll tell you my ideal daily routine um, because, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit different. But the things that I would like to tick off every day are... As you mentioned, a meditation. So I still do the Vipassana technique and I try to do that every day. Basically, I might even just do it after I wake up. I wake up, I sit, close my eyes, observe my breath. And it seems quite boring and almost pointless. But what you're doing by observing your breath and the physical sensations in your body is you're grounding yourself in the present moment and you are teaching yourself to just accept the moment as it is, moment to moment, moment to moment. It's like weightlifting for your mind it seems sort of is this even doing anything it's kind of weird but the way that it changes how your mind operates to being able to choose your responses instead of blindly reacting in anger and things like this is so powerful and um you know so peace inducing so it's extremely important something else i find extremely important is doing some stretching what i've noticed over the years of having many injuries is that Sometimes, at least with me, it can be just a tight muscle somewhere that I wasn't aware of that is causing pain somewhere else. Or I've, I've had a lot of pain in my body over the years, and I think I'm starting to just correct all of that. But um, spending that time just being with your body, just stretching this angle, that angle, and then what I notice sometimes is, wow, my left leg is so much less flexible than my right. Maybe that's why I'm sore here, maybe this, maybe that. And when I do shift, and create more flexibility, I find that a lot of the pains go. Whereas some people who might not be as likely to do a stretch or something like that will think, oh, this is just me now. I'm getting older. I've got this back pain, not realized. And then they deal with it for years. And I've done this. So I'm speaking from experience. So I had back pain for like a whole year, a couple of years ago. And then I found one muscle that was tight in my leg. I stretched it for half an hour and it was gone. And um, these are things that I just try to do to continue avoiding those types of pains and aches and whatever. Every single day, I try to post something for the animals. I try to just plant a seed a day, plant a seed a day. It might be a video, a debate, a speech, a meal, an uh, interesting quote, a health benefit, whatever, whatever. I ideally would go for a surf every day, go to the gym every day, um, spend time with my beautiful wife every day, learn Portuguese, as I said, I'm studying right now. Yeah, if I do all those things, I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty happy. I don't need too much a bit of sunshine and that. And you know, I've got a lot of activities I enjoy, like skating, surfing, snorkeling, and whatever. But yeah, sticking to the basics, just eating healthy, moving my body, spending time with the people I love, and doing something for the cause is pretty much all I need to feel very happy and content with my days. Beautiful. Sounds ideal. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Uh huh. What is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Definitely eat a plant-based diet. A whole food plant-based diet is one of the best ways to reduce inflammation, reduce disease, increase your energy, have a better sleep, you know, just everything. What you eat is so important. Food is either medicine or poison. By eating a whole food plant-based diet, if you look up those words, whole food plant-based diet, which means just keeping it basically as close to the foods in their natural form as possible. Beans, rice, potatoes, mangoes, avocados, fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, seeds, and beans. 
And I think that would probably be it. You know, if someone's smoking cigarettes, I would recommend to stop smoking cigarettes. But in terms of just people's typical day-to-day lifestyle, that is the thing that is killing them and causing them harm. That would be the best thing they could do to start moving in a better direction. Awesome. What's one of the most important things that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Ah, it's a great question. I think that gratitude is the key to more. So being grateful for what you already have. I try to make it a daily practice. I should have added this in actually. Gratitude list. I've wrote thousands and thousands of, I am so happy and grateful that I blah, 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 blah. And you can do it in two ways. You can write what you're grateful for now. And there are literally thousands of things you could come up with on this list. So, But if you find it hard, because it helps you just get a bit of momentum, small things. I woke up this morning, you know, I, I wasn't in pain or I was next to someone I loved or the bills were paid, whatever. And then you can build and build and build. But I try not to let a day go by. If a day goes by and I didn't write a gratitude list, I'm like, damn, I missed opportunities for more abundance. Because when you're grateful for what you've got and you're grateful for whatever you get, you automatically feel like you have more than you already did. And I think you're putting yourself on the right frequency to attract more of the things that you want. And if you have things you want, and you get them and you haven't, you're not established in practicing gratitude, you're not even going to be satisfied by them anyway. You're just going to want more of other things and it'll be an endless game if you're not feeling satisfied. So yeah, gratitude is, um, I think, very, very important. Mm-hmm, definitely. And last one, what's one thing that we can do for more love in our life? I think the first thing you need to do, like this is a, something you can do instantly right now, is love yourself automatically you'll get more love in your life. And this is the most important kind of love. And it's one that's looked over so much. We're always looking for to find love in this partner or whatever. But you need to love yourself. And what that means is you need to be like, James, you are a legend, mate. You are so good. You've got such a good heart. You've done so much good. And you know you're going to do more. And I know you aren't perfect, but you're trying your best, aren't you? Yes. And I uh, remember when you did that the other day and this and that. and you know, you're funny and you try and whatever. Like it's about you building yourself up. It's basically you speaking to yourself like you would speak to your best friend all the time, generating inner love so that whenever something external is taken away and everything will be. So let's say, let's say, you know, you're so used to love from a friend and your friend moves to another part of the world or dies or whatever. It's not such a big drop because. Although that type of love is gone, you've already got the foundation for where all love should come from, which is from yourself. And um, in those situations, instead of feeling like you will fall from a 10-foot story building, you're falling onto a beautiful pillow that you've put there for yourself if you fall at all. And this is something that's so neglected, which I find fascinating. But yeah, basically, I would say to summarize it, just speak to yourself like you are your best friend. You know, Be your biggest fan and see how your life changes. Mm, I love it. James, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your love, for everything that you do in the world. You are helping so many people and animals, the environment. You're doing so much to serve. And I want to know, as my final question, how can I and the listeners give back to you? How can we serve you today? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy to be doing this job. I find so much fulfillment in it. I think it's so important. So it's absolutely my honor to be sharing this message with you and everyone. 
to support me, the best things you could do would be to share my message, to share the documentaries we've talked about. If you want to support me financially, I have a Patreon page where people who support my work can donate a monthly donation, anything from a dollar to whatever. That helps me out a lot. Being an activist isn't the easiest way to make money sometimes, but that is that. And just sharing my speech and as I post things, yeah. The more that it gets shared, the more people that understand, and that's basically the thing that makes me the most happy, so that would be awesome. We'll definitely link to your speech as well in the show notes. This has been so awesome, James. I could chat to you for hours. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and for everything that you do. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure too. Thanks so much to everything that you're doing as well. Thank you for letting me share this message with your audience. And thanks to everybody for listening. If you have any questions from anything I said, feel free to reach out to me by email or Instagram DM or anything like that. And nothing I said was to try to provoke or make you feel bad as a person or anything like that. You know, we're all on different journeys, just sharing, just trying to lift each other up. And that's all it was. So I hope you were able to take it that way. And I hope you found it interesting. Sure did. Thank you, James. Thank you. Such an eye-opening episode and things that we need to look at and talk about. So I really do hope you got a lot out of this episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review on your Apple Podcasts app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. And it is a five-star review from Vanessa. And it's titled, Absolutely Fantastic. And she says, I've been listening to Melissa's podcast for a long while, and it's definitely one of my top favorite podcasts. Each episode provides its own pearls of wisdom, inspiration, and knowledge. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Thank you so much, Vanessa. I'm so grateful. Because you are the review of the week, you get one of my top four favorite products. And this week, you get some goodies from Organifi. So make sure you email hello at melissarambrosini.com and we will send you over your goodies. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get from each show. So please come and share them with me. And for everything that James and I mentioned in today's show, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 378. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot. You can share it on your social media. You can email it to them. You can text it to them. Do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, Don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.